that means to answer the question, what is the greatest horror movie ever made? Set up like a macabre imitation of the NCAA basketball tournament, we are pairing 32 films in a series of grudge matches to see which one reigns supreme in each major subgenre of horror. Season one of our grisly competition focuses on the beloved, ever-relatable Haunted House film. Last time, ten movies went toe-to-toe. Top seeds The Shining, Lake Mungo, Session 9, Poltergeist and Terrified, Ousted the Underdogs, House 2, 1408, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Insidious, and The Others. Well, tonight, another ten movies will square off in a do-or-die test of strength. We've got Evil Mirrors, A Clapping Game, Lena Dunham making lattes, Roddy McDowell making bug eyes, Undetonated Ordnance, A Guy Who Doesn't Recognize the Tune of Painted Black, Two Murderous Armoires, The Creepiest Fan-Mounted Cam in Cinema History, A Doomed Submarine, and One Royally Pissed Off Wheelchair. It's all here on March Mad Men. I'm John Evans, and as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Rich Eckersley and Vic Wheat. Gentlemen, are you ready to eliminate five more movies tonight? I'm pumped, John. I have three and a half weeks of stir-crazy anxiety inside of me. I want to see the (laughs) blood of movies running through my hands as they leave this competition. I'm thrilled. Let's do it. Cabin fever, baby. And you, Vic? Uh, Cabin fever is not a haunted house movie, John. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. <laughs> yes. Yes is the answer. And Rich, I know that you sort of joined late in the Halloween game, but I recognize the mentality I was getting into watching the movies that I that I was able to get to for this podcast as kind of where I was at, like around Halloween 6 or Friday the 13th 6, where the tropes are really starting to jump out at you and you're really starting to feel like if you see another door slam of its own accord, you're (laughs) going to freak the fuck out, right? How about like the sheets being pulled off some little girl's bed again? Again, or that, yes, we'll get it. We'll get into it. There's a lot, there's a lot of them. And they were, I mean, I didn't know wardrobes were going to be so fucking prominent in haunted house movies, but here we are. Uh, Anyone even own a wardrobe? No, I've never even seen one. Isn't that what an armoire is? Did I use the right word? Same difference? Or? Oh, yeah. Why is your house full of armoires? <laughs> <laughs> One did fall on me the other day. Sorry, that's a uh, that's an inside joke. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. But yeah. yes, Vic, I understand Like the same thing is happening to me. Like All the imaginary friends and demons and things happening at 3 a.m. every night. Like it, It's 
It's almost, it reminds me of like with a Friday the 13th or a Halloween franchise where each new set of screenwriters, often separated by several years, if not a decade, they feel like, oh, well, this is one of the things we need to do. I'm going to draw on that. I'm going to use it. It goes with the mask that Jason has to wear or the fact that Freddy kills people in their dreams. But no, like there's no absolute through line other than the fact that people you know, must study these films and realize that there are certain, I don't know about rules, but uh, as you said, tropes that keep coming up over and over and they feel like they, they have to use them too. It's it's funny to, to really notice how often they come up. It's really true. And it's also, it gets slightly maddening. Um, mm-hmm. And again, to, to just to reiterate, we are, we've just begun week six of our quarantine. I think this podcast will stand the test of time insofar as it is a living record of the weirdest possible time to be binge-watching haunted house movies. <laughs> Again, the question in always in every haunted house movie is, well, why don't they just leave? Well, what if you can't? You're on lockdown. Yeah. You know, you're at, you're under shelter at home. I, I guess like that's going to be a whole new wave of these movies that we'll end up watching um, in the future. <laughs> Every one of these movies, I was like, just go to a hotel, just go to a farmer's market, go to a movie theater, go to any of the fucking things that I can no longer go to and get away from your ghost because it's not that hard. <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent on the fact that like it is kind of maddening, but at the same time, you got to admit when you hit those movies and they actually do some novel with it or they put a twist on it or they don't go to the obvious plates it suddenly feels more refreshing and more exciting i think than if you just seen it as a standalone movie that's definitely true and there are things to be gleaned from from viewing movies in the way that we have and again going back to what we were doing with the franchises prior to this you really do by putting things together in a sort of shorter period of time maybe not this short but in a shorter period of time, you really do start to, to read those juxtapositions very well. And that's why I think this contest is such a good idea for figuring out which one of these movies really is the best. Yeah, it's an intense process, uh, a crash course in a sub-sub-genre. And yeah, you really start to see the patterns and, and where they break from the patterns in cool ways. And I think with within the movies we look at tonight, I think that's going to be striking. And it's certainly a big criteria for me as I was kind of figuring out which uh, movie should advance in each of these pairings. Uh, what are we drinking tonight, gentlemen? Vic, what's in front of you? Uh, I have a, uh, an old favorite of Brother Thelonious, an old friend comforting me in these dark times. Brother Thelonious, yes. He is uh, a fine sibling to have. And you, Rich? I've also got an old friend. I'm drinking Trader Joe's Cabernet from a box. Yes. <laughs> and a black cherry sparkling water well well all right any any stew tonight well not yet but i did not eat so anything could happen stay tuned (laughs) wait for the sound of the spoons eat the eat the rabbit john Uh, boil the rabbit it makes a good stew let's let's hope kim did not hear that remark i'm not worried john she doesn't listen to the podcast you are correct. You are correct. <laughs> Except when okay. she's in the other room and has no choice but to listen to this podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> I am drinking the Mind Haze IPA, which also seems extremely fitting for the hallucinatory terrain that we're all embarking on in real life and in our movie selections. So that felt appropriate. Oh, yeah. I've enjoyed that one myself. Good choice. Thank you. Yes, it's a Firestone classic. 
All right. Well, perhaps a new classic can kick things off for us as we look at our number six seed in the bracket, and that is Oculus. Mike Flanagan's 2013 psychological horror film based on his own short film starring Karen Gillan as a young woman convinced that the antique mirror her father brought into their home is responsible for much death and misfortune, and she sets out to prove that fact. And in the, in the process, prove that her brother is, is in fact not a killer. So it's, a, it's quite a movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, of course, we recommend that you do. We're not going to give spoilers in this round if we can avoid it. So you can still listen to our, our show. But this one, you know, I'm not really sure how people view it. it it's well-received by critics. It, it made money. Um, Mike Flanagan, obviously, is, is quite a, um, a, a superstar of horror right now, at least in terms of directing, with uh, Haunting of Hill House being kind of a sensation on Netflix. So I think it's probably getting rediscovered, but it doesn't pop up on at the top of a lot of horror movie lists. But I have to say, having seen it again for this show, I was really impressed. Uh, who wants to lead off the, the scorecards here? Uh, Rich, you, you, you want to kick us off? This was a movie that I saw back when it came out. I didn't have a whole lot of memory of it. I think I watched it with a group. I gave this an overall quality of an A. I really, really enjoyed this movie much more so than I thought it was going to. And I and I am a fan of Flanagan. I just the original when I saw it did not leave a whole much of an impression. Most of the score is based on the fact that I do love redheads and I do think it's Carrie. It's Gillum, right? Is her last name Gillen? I think with Gillen. an N, right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think she does a great job, I'll, I'll say, carrying this movie. But the entire cast of this thing is is great. Um, I'll break down a couple of like, key people as I go through. But overall, it's a strong cast. It has good scares. It's more gruesome than I remember. I remember it being sort of a sterile movie, and it's it's not. It gets pretty disturbing in a few places. And it's a rising tension movie. Like, it really builds and takes some clever twists and turns. It has a general, like, sense of unease that just, like, oozes through the whole movie and gets more intense as it goes on. And um, that will take me to originality because it gets an A-plus for being a movie that is not necessarily a haunted house per se, but the story of a haunted mirror, of course. The mirror, of course, resides in a house, which brings the haunts to the home. And this is really just class act filmmaking. Not only is the the antagonist unique, but the whole movie is bouncing back and forth between the story of this brother and sister as adults and flashing back to the story of the brother and sister as kids the first time that they dealt with this mirror. And the way that they jump back and forth throughout time feels so refreshing and both complex but easy to follow in a way that actually feels like early practice for some of the memorable moments that Flanagan mined later on in Hill House. And you can see the groundwork here. It's just a very clever form of storytelling for a very clever story. The chill factor, I also gave an A. Not only are the are the, this, this, the scares like the antagonists that come that come up towards the end pretty uh, disturbing, but there's lots of little moments where the mirrors 
basically kills through being able to manipulate the perception that the the people that are you know its victims are experiencing so there's various instances where characters think they're doing one thing only to find out they're doing something else that could potentially harm them and they use this to great effect in a way that that sort of evokes like a final destination almost where you know something terrible is is about to happen or is happening and you are sort of in the dark along with the protagonist and you're waiting for these you know events to unfold they're very effective the antagonist the mirror itself is a pretty good antagonist even though it, it hangs there on the wall there's a few turns where the mother of the family changes over time while she's not necessarily a protagonist or an antagonist she does become legitimately terrifying as the movie goes on. And I won't sort of say who does most of the terrorizing in this film, but I do feel like the, both the, the acting, like the performance that he, that he gives and just his character is menacing and takes a position that people generally are trusted in and, and turns it on its head. The quality of kills is pretty strong. I'm also giving this a, an A. The death of a key character at the climax of the movie is memorable and grisly and unique and a little shocking. Um, there's also a great setup scene that comes early in the movie where it's really just Karen explaining the all the deaths of the previous owners of this mirror. And all she's doing is talking rapid fire through a series of events, showing you photos. And the photos alone in the descriptions are actually pretty disturbing and really make your skin crawl. Directing this, sorry, I'm going straight down the board with an A again. Like, I feel like Flanagan, for a movie that's halfway done with kids, Flanagan is so good with kids. You know, you see this in Hill House in particular, and also in uh, Ouija, too. He just gets sort of genuine performances out of them that there are a lot of movies, and some movies on tonight's uh, roster do not get right about kid acting. The atmosphere is good. The movie's a little like clean and shiny for my taste. Like I wish it was just a little bit grittier, but they make up for it when blood hits the screen. And the oh, like the one that I'm like maybe giving a slightly lesser rating to is the script, which I give a, a B plus. It is great writing that slowly explains the rules of the antagonist and lets you sort of learn as as time goes on. It gets a little muddy in the third act for me where you maybe the film goes a little off the rails in terms of jumping back and forth through time. And it can be a little hard to track, but it does build up to a pretty grim ending. This is sort of like Hill House without the uh, without the happy ending. I love that you point that out. And I feel like as a creative force, that makes me like what he did with Hill House more because you know, yes, these are completely distinct stories and I don't want to give anything away regarding the ending of this film. But to me, like having somewhat similar, you know, at least conceptually or tonally projects, you kind of want to have very different endpoints to them so that you're not repeating yourself as a filmmaker. And so like kind of appreciating this ending so much in a way, it actually makes me appreciate the ending of that a little bit more because if, if he, he somehow went back to the well and it felt like it was ending on the same kind of a note, that kind of reminds me in a very roundabout way, but 
of one of my main problems with what Quentin Tarantino is doing these days in that, like, it's like a joke now. Like, oh, his next movie is, it's a revisionist 9-11 movie where uh, we beat the shit out of, we beat all of the terrorists to death and no planes crash into anything. You know, like, it's become, it's really becoming kind of a joke. So sure. I I like that he's not, you know, he's 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 telling different stories and such a big part of stories are the endings. So I just wanted to interject that. And I think that was a great rundown, Rich. Well, let me just, let me just throw in real quick after the fact I left out acting, but the acting in this movie, I, sorry to hit the, hit the same note, but I would again, give this one an A. I feel like the kids are exceptional in this film. Katie Sackhoff and the kid's father both like nailed it with some very intense performances. Like, yeah, great cast. I don't have an other prepared. So I'm going to leave that one to you, Vic. I bet you got a great one. I do, and I'm glad you said that. You know, I love to uh, to fight with you guys on this podcast, and, and I generally want to be contrarian. I can't on this. This movie fucked me up. This is a really upsetting movie. It did this to me the first time I watched it, and watching it again, I had exactly the same reaction. Uh, overall quality, I gave it an A for, I think, all of the reasons that you mentioned. Originality... I'm giving it an A minus, and the minus comes from the fact that watching it this time, I was really struck by there's there's a lot of overlap with The Shining that comes in very stark relief when you realize that Mike Flanagan is going to go on to make Doctor Sleep, and so the 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 story of young kids trapped in a house with parents who were going crazy and trying to figure out how to get away. There was there. And then again, even again, not that Dr. Sleep is a factor in the originality, but the almost the a story of the kids going back to the house as grownups really looks like Dr. Sleep. And then the B story really resembles them sort of recalling uh, something similar to the events in the shining. That's a very small, again, I, I, I don't even think that's a knock necessarily, but combined with the fact that this is it just fundamentally in its logline, it's a haunted mirror movie. It is probably the best possible movie about a haunted mirror that could be made. And I again, I don't want to take anything away from it, but I just the the, the shining overlap and it really sort of I was like, oh, it's, it's just really interesting. It's a really interesting flavor to throw in there, but it does take away from the originality a smidge. Chill factor, I gave it an A minus for the the simple fact that by the end of the movie, the there there is a, a trick that you get when we when we see the ghost spirit sort of uh, uh, characters. They have a they have a trick of the, the glowing eyes that was really alarming to me the first couple scenes, the first as you sort of get introduced to it. By the end, it felt like overkill. And it was early on. It's one of the, the best, most startling effects. And uh, by the end, it, it had lost some of its power. It is still a really scary movie. Antagonist, I'm going A. One of the things that I find really fascinating about this film is that the mirror actually feels like a character. The way that it behaves, and a lot of it has to do with Karen Gillan and how she's explaining the mirror and explaining what it's doing and everything else. By the time you get to the third act of this movie, 
it's like you have a sense of that mirror as an entity in the film, as something that, that wants and does things and behaves in certain ways that seem particular to the way that Flanagan's drawn it. I find that astonishing that he's able to, to bring that kind of specificity to an inanimate object. The characters that become antagonists, I think, are they're very effective. We talked a little bit about Katie Sackoff and where her character winds up, what happens with some of the other characters. Again, we don't want to give anything away. And this one, antagonist A. Quality of kills, I'm going B plus for the simple reason that the kill that, that Rich very vaguely referred to at the end is the one that really leaps out to me. There are other deaths in this movie, not many. It's not... I don't, want to say, I don't want to say it's not a gory film because that's misleading, but it's not a movie you go to see for the body count. The, the deaths that are there work, but it's, it's, it's a B plus. I do have this, it, I know this is such a hotly like, contested category, but, but like, as long as a movie has, has a kill, aren't you just judging based on the quality of that kill? Well, I'm, but what I'm judging is the quality of that kill juxtaposed against the other kills in the movie. That there's one kill that is exceptional. There are others that I feel are are not quite as exceptional. And I didn't count just to just to to stir the pot of controversy a little bit more. I did not count the pictures that she showed at the beginning when I was contemplating this. So uh, I, I, I'm happy to uh, revisit that when when this movie comes up again, as I assume it will. Do do respect to the conjuring. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we'll be talking about Oculus again. <laughs> yeah. Directing, I give it an A. I agree. This is especially, I mean, for the for the budget and the the again, just the log line. Like I can't get over how much if you told me it's a movie about a haunted mirror, my heart just sinks. Like I think of Mirror Mirror from the eighties or Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland and like even Rich, I know you have a soft spot for Poltergeist three, which has a, a heavy use of mirrors. I, I was not as impressed by that movie. I find it to be a little a, a, a bit nonsensical. And so the, the what he's able to pull off with this and you can really see, as we talked about, I mean, the seeds of what Flanagan is going to be dealing with as a serious genre filmmaker for the next decade is all sitting right here because it's not it's 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 the family dynamics the use of the flashbacks and stuff which you see obviously in in haunting of hill house you know the 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 way that people recover from from trauma i think is really the 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 most pronounced the one that the one that hits me the hardest which is what i think you see in doctor sleep what i think you see in Haunting of Hill House and what you really see here, that's what this is about, is two deeply traumatized people trying to come to grips with what caused them to, to become the people that they are. I find that really interesting. The script, I also gave I gave that a B plus for the simple reason that watching it the, the second time, there is a stretch really in the third act where the characters become separated and it's not at all clear to me how they became separated, why they can't find each other. This isn't a very big house. And so it just became very confusing to me. But I also want to point out, just so I don't so I don't miss this, that there is a sense watching this movie that 
you you could really feel like you are going crazy while you're watching it. When you start to reveal the fact that the characters are behaving in ways that they don't realize, that they are suddenly finding this objective proof of them doing things that they don't remember or thinking that they are in a place that they are not in. It's so disconcerting. It's so well played. And that ties into every bit of it, the directing, the, the, the script, the acting, the chill factor. That's the part that really hangs over, uh, hangs over me with this. This is a movie that shows what 1408 could have been. Yes. So that acting, I, I also give it an A for all the reasons I said. I was deeply distracted when I realized that Rory Cochran, who plays the father, was Slater in Dazed and Confused. And that <laughs> that makes his, his performance, I think, even more impressive because that's a lot of range. But I was also looking at him, just thinking about him, you know, smoking a joint and talking about Martha Washington bringing George Washington pot at the at the end of the day. So, uh, no, the, I, the acting, again, all the way across the board, uh, again, particularly Katie Sackhoff, who has a really tough arc to pull off, I think, in a short amount of screen time, by and large, really nails it. Everybody's top notch. My A, uh, I'm going to I'm just going to say this is because. I had the most visceral physical reaction to this moment is when the characters have started to get disoriented and have that issue of like what's real and what isn't. And Karen Gillan is walking around changing the light bulbs and the lights while eating an apple. And at one point puts the apple down next to the light bulb. And as soon as she did that, I remembered and my whole body just – just seized like it was like I tried to crawl inside my couch <laughs> while I waited for her to pick up the light bulb and not the apple and cry. like it was it's just it's it's an A for eating a light bulb that's my that's my other it's the most intense visceral physical reaction I've had probably since Saw 2 when uh, the girl gets thrown into the pit full of hypodermic needles yeah I mean I think that's a somebody had to mention that scene and I'm going to be quick with mine because look guys, we're going to talk about this movie again. I I appreciate that you guys have quite exhaustively gone through this and it it is a rich movie to unpack because this is a movie that plays with the idea of reality being warped to malevolent purposes and not being able to trust anything that you see or hear and how scary that is. I mean, this movie, does not squander that opportunity. It gets a lot of mileage out of the concept. And that's one of the most impressive things about it. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Vic. I'm going to breeze through mine again, just to kind of save something for the next time we talk about Oculus. Also, I, I, I should note that it, it, it amuses me that we're at the point where if you give something less than an A, you have to use your time you know, nitpicking. <laughs> you have to explain, like, you have to speak negatively of the film because, well, I didn't give it an A or an A plus. I gave it an A minus, and so now I'm going to talk about a flaw in the movie. So I'm not going to do that. And and kind of interestingly, my grades are actually lower than your guys' grades. But I just think of that more as like 
look, the scorecard is not the Bible here, you know, and we're not bound to this. I neither have to justify. I, I can say nice things and give it a B and you said bad things and you gave it an A minus, you know, like we're just trying to figure out like sort of the strengths and weaknesses of each film. And John, yeah. I, I promise not to explain any of my bad grades for the conjuring. <laughs> See, I, I love talking about like what's legitimately <laughs> bad about movies. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to nit- nitpick Oculus, but I will take pleasure talking about the things I don't like about The Conjuring because I genuinely don't like them. But nonetheless, Oculus overall quality for me is a B plus, and my scale. I just want to say, in the entire universe of films, I'm trying to think of it as in. A is going to be a relatively short list. And does that mean that, you know, if I we watch this movie again, I might not enjoy it even more? It might move up? Yeah, I think it, it has that kind of potential. But right now, I kind of, uh, I give it a B plus. And to me, that's not an insult at all. I'm, I'm also more generous, I think, than you guys on originality. Because it's like, I'm not looking at it from the perspective of, well, has there ever been anything within this person's career that might, you know, not be 100% dissimilar from this? I, I think of it more as, is this movie doing something really cool that I haven't seen, generally speaking, in any subgenre or in any haunted house movie? And I just think that the cocktail that the Flanagan concocts here with the rules and the mythology, the very specific and clear and killer kind of setup for this, this mirror and how it operates and, and, and the way that, you know, informs the, the challenges and the threats that the characters experience. Uh, yeah. I can't not give that an A chill factor for me is a B. I think there's some, a few really scary things. It didn't like, you know, I didn't shit my pants or anything, but you know, I think a B is nothing to be ashamed of. Antagonist B quality of kills B We'll get into more of that later. Directing A, I really like the way he stages this movie and the way, you know, the the sequences are shot and edited and the way it all plays out and the way it's conceived, which is leads back to script, which he had a, a hand in. Certainly, he wasn't the only writer, but B plus uh, for script. I'm just really impressed with some of the the devices like the the apple gag and the the things that happen with not being aware of where you are. And I want to say that, yeah, I, I felt that the sort of confusion at the end about, you know, what, whether we're in this time frame or in the past time frame or what's going on, it, it didn't, it, it's disconcerting in a way that is a bit even negative for the viewer, but it actually kind of makes perfect sense in relation to the whole game of the mirror is you might think you're still in the room with that person, or you might think you're not in the room with that person, but you don't know what's going on at all. You can't trust your own senses. So to me, even in a small house, I'm not shocked at all that that the mirror could separate the characters. And also, I believe that in some way, they actually are seeing the past. I think the, the, the time frames are actually overlapping and not necessarily for their past versions, but I think that the, the present day versions of these people are seeing their, their previous selves and, and the other person's previous self. So I think that hallucinatory stuff is, there's, there's a logic to it. So I don't ding it for that. 
And I'll give it a B for acting, you know, primarily because I, I love the Rory Cochran's performance. And I think Katie Sackhoff is, is quite good. I, I didn't love the Australian guy, uh, the kid too much, Brenton, Brenton, Brenton Thwaites. I thought he was a little stiff early on, but Karen Gillan is great. And she's Nebula in Avengers, by the way. I found that kind of interesting. Also, this isn't really acting, but I didn't love the casting of the little kids. Like, I felt they didn't look at all like their grown-up selves. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But, like, the facial structure. Nailed it. Really? Like, the facial structure and the eyebrows of the little girl? Like, I don't think they... It's an awkward age, John. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't buy it. (laughs) Like, uh, compared to... There are some movies like it, or I believe even um, the Haunting of Hill House casting. Like I, sometimes I'm blown away by how spot on those those things are. In this movie, I feel like they did not match up the casting. But uh, three of those movies were good. I just feel like maybe they went on acting talent instead of making an exact match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, is it fair to ding acting for that? No, maybe not. But whatever. I'm not taking these these grades that seriously. I do appreciate the though that in a movie about a, a haunted mirror that that's like the quibble. <laughs> yeah. My uh, other judges' ch- choice category. Uh, I realize we didn't explain this going into this show, but hopefully you guys listened to the last one. This is just a wild card category of something we liked. And I'm using the word foo a la the great Joe Bob Briggs and his scorecards that he uses on the last drive-in. So I'm calling this one an A for statue foo. And I know it's not a pivotal point in the movie, but I really love the staging and editing of this early sequence at the auction house where Kaylee is noticing in the mirror's reflection some subtle but genuinely scary things going on with these three draped statues behind her. And I think there's an understated but extremely effective payoff to the sequence when the last of the three she's revealing one by one just disappears when she's interrupted a moment before unveiling it. I just, I mean, that is directing at its best. And, you know, it's a well-conceived, well-executed sequence. And it, it stood out to me and told me what I, that I was in for something that, you know, was going to be highly effective, that I was in sort of the hands of a master. And I, I love that. So I love this movie. Putting aside, you know, the formality or the, the artifice of scorecards, I, I think it's a strong contender to go far in our tournament. I just want to point out, John, I had not thought of that as I was tracking Haunted House tropes. One of the ones that I think comes up a lot, not just in, in even in Haunted House movies, but across horror in general, the number of people just like things covered in sheets just mm-hmm. seems to come up a lot. And I had forgotten about that one. So I'm adding that to my uh, to my checklist. Yeah. yeah it, it immediately reminds me of the there's a scene in the others where, well, there's a there's a lot of things covered in sheets in the others. But there is a scene where she just walks into a room of statues covered with sheets and just tears the sheets off of them. Yes. But it even thought, uh, you know, I know a a ghost story did not make our cut for this tournament, but that's a whole movie about a guy with a sheet on his head. It's a real it's a real trope for horror movies. Keep your eyes peeled. That's a sore subject. We got another ghost sheet coming up tonight, actually. Paranormal activity. We got two. We got two, folks. Get ready. Yep. Yep. The, The ghost sheet is a real thing. All right. Well, um, that takes us to the <laughs> the underdog in this matchup. 
The challenger is The Conjuring. James Wan's big hit that I'm sure a certain contingent of our audience has a a, a real uh, soft spot for. And I'm going to apologize in advance to you, but we'll get into it. And it definitely is a movie that has certain moments that I think are very effective. And I will give them credit. Don't worry about that. And The Conjuring was written by Chad and Carrie Hayes, two filmmakers that uh, Vic and I had some tangential relationship to professionally when we were at Copelson Entertainment. And we had a foursome. <laughs> yes, a tangential se- sexual relationship. <laughs> um, I, I love that Wikipedia calls this the inaugural film in the Conjuring Universe franchise because that was wow, when you wrote that. <laughs> well, one of my one of my notes on this movie was that it feels like a fucking Marvel Cinematic Universe installment where they're half as concerned about introducing their spinoffs as they are telling the story at hand. And I, you know, I'm not going to say I don't like a lot of the Marvel movies, but this was all it was missing was Samuel L. Jackson showing up you know, to tell the Warrens that Annabelle is broken out and she's heading for the White House with an army of demonic, symbol-clapping monkey toys. I just Holy shit, I would watch that movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, listen, I know there are some fun intersections that you can have and that this series, you know, the universe does have as these stories begin to connect over the years. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for looking at all of them and finding the best elements. Personally, I like The Conjuring 2. I'm not going to go to the grave for it, but uh, I would have rated it higher based on my reaction to it. Back to this movie, though. Yeah, it was a big hit. I, I think even the producers would admit to you, anyone involved would probably admit to you, that a lot of that had to do with the trailer, which captured artfully the most original and effective gag, ghost, scary gag, horror gag in the whole movie, which is the clapping game. And I think that there was something that caught people's imagination, and rightfully so. Uh, But I think having seen this movie twice now, other than one other scene I'll mention along the way, nothing is very special about this film other than that. So I give it a C overall. I think that's somewhat generous, and I'm giving it credit for you know the the, the few moments that really work. Originality is a C. I mean, you want a catalog of tropes and cliches and sort of tired old haunted house and ghost essentials of the of the the textbook, shall you say? Shall we say it's all here? And it would be a lower grade, except that you know I do kind of like some of the more ambitious things like the fact that the, yeah, the Warrens have this whole room full of evil things, even though, you know, we could have said that the Friday, the 13th, the series did that, but you brought that up. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It did. But you know, maybe the combination of certain elements and, and I kind of like, I don't remember the exact wording, but like they have this uh, like checklist of what demons do to you. And some of the demon mythology is a little more developed than a lot of things. And, I didn't hate it, so that raised it up a bit. Uh, chill factor is a B minus. I think the two scenes that that freaked me out are worthy of note. 
But so much of the scenes that I think probably legitimately scarified, scarified, I love that, scarified, uh, ter- terrified 13-year-old girls did nothing for me whatsoever. Unlike, for instance, the Ring remake, where I think I was screaming right along with the kids. And antagonists, whatever Bathsheba or whoever this this chick, demon, whatever it is, does nothing for me. It's a convoluted mythology. We can get into it. But I, I was not impressed by the antagonist as a as a presence other than the use of the hands in the clapping game. Uh, Quality of kills gets an F because, yeah, by the letter of the law, there are no kills in the movie. We could, we could get really ticky tacky about that, but uh, it's, it's not set up for victims to be eliminated by this spirit or this demon or whatever. At, At no point, spoiler, does anyone really get offed by this thing. Directing, uh, look, it's a B. I, I do like the way James Wan moves the camera. I think if Mike Kuchak was on the show, he would he would remind us uh, of some of the specific things. I'll point out there's a great under-the-bed, upside-down POV shot in this movie that I think is pretty fun, um, and it elevates a pretty ho-hum sequence. So, uh, yeah, the way his camera glides around... I think I will say it would have been an A, except that I find it kind of more empty and formalist than really serving a powerful dramatic purpose in any of the scenes. And I think part of that is that his directing is undercut by a script that I honestly have to give a D plus. I think it's loaded with ham-handed, broad lines and very superficial, facile, sorry, uh, Hayes Brothers, beats that are just sort of the, you know, the lowest common denominator of drama. And I just was not impressed with the script whatsoever. And even acting, I have to give a C minus. I think even the great Vera Farmiga is sort of wooden and overly sincere. I mean, they all are. So it's not, you know, I'm not singling her out. I'm just saying that, you know, she's someone who can elevate almost any material. I, I actually think that the guy from Office Space is one of the subtler performances in the movie. I've got to give him Ron Livingston. I, I like his his take on it. Poor Lily Taylor. Look, dude, I, I really like Lily Taylor. I think she's miscast and a little too old for this role. It just doesn't work seeing her thrown around and tormented in this way that she seems uncomfortable with it. I felt more bad for her as an actress than I did as a character. It just, she just wasn't the blend of victim and victimizer that this character should have been to really work. Just miscast. Not She's not bad, but just didn't work for me. And I, I was also reminded of 1408 with all the spectral randos that didn't scare me that kind of cycle through this movie. Though they are a cut above here. They're definitely better than in 1408. But that kind of just contributes to there not being a strong and uh, central antagonist. That's kind of it. The only nice thing I can say is clap foo gets a B plus. That and the other moment I wanted to highlight was the hanged woman's feet. I guess you could call that noose foo menace Vera Farmiga under this table. It's a genuinely haunting moment in a movie filled with familiar going through the motions kind of beats that don't really get under my my skin. And even with Clap Fu, like even though it's a genius idea, I don't think the actual payoffs that come out of it, they're not that memorable or important within the story. So it doesn't elevate it too much. And, and, and the last nice thing that I touched on before is just that 
I don't mind the greatest hits of ghost story mythology that this, this, this movie has its characters walk the audience through. I do think it's kind of fun to see it codified in this sort of pseudo-scientific way that the Warrens have. So, I gave you the good, the bad, that's it for me. Vic, tell me your thoughts on The Conjuring. I loved this movie. I'm kidding. <laughs> Damn it. Because I, I would have said, you son of a bitch. Here's what I'll say. This is, to me, this is not a bad movie. You are not wrong that this is a menagerie of things you've seen in other movies. But for the most part, they're well executed. James Wan knows his way around this kind of material. And he kind of wrings the most out of, uh, you know, what is it an, an otherwise familiar story so it doesn't it doesn't surprise, but it's it's fine. Uh, I think we're going to get to what lies beneath at some point. It kind of reminds me of that, just in the sense that it's huh. it's got a decent budget, it's got solid actors doing solid actory things. They're not interested in blowing your mind. You're never going to watch this movie and think you're going mad. But it unnerved me from from time to time a little bit. I will say I one of the things that I like just as we talk about the tropes like the kids with imaginary friends trope that comes up in this I don't even remember cuz all I can think of is Toby now. Um, <laughs> but whoever the imaginary friend was in this, what I will say is I when we moved into our house my and I, maybe I've told this story on the podcast before. I apologize if I have. But my my then two year old son took a nap and was still wearing sort of a pull up when he when he napped and so when he woke up I put him on his changing table and I was changing his his pull up and we have you know high ceilings in our house and I said did you have a good nap and he shook his head and I said well why not and he said the man was here and I said what man where was he and he pointed way up to the top of the wall. And said he was on the wall. He was knocking. And I fucking, I was unsettled for weeks after that. Um, yeah. Now, that said, as much as that got to me and, and, and sort of infected my nightmares for a while, I don't want to see another movie with another kid with an imaginary friend that turns out to be a fucking ghost or whatever. Oh. It's just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. We're halfway through this and I'm burnt the fuck out on it. I would be laughing hysterically if we happened to watch another movie that has a little girl with a tea party with an imaginary uh, friend. Like, I, yeah. I just, I don't think I could handle even one more. I know, right? So, overall quality, I'm giving it a B. Just, it's, it's solid. It's not great. It's not exceptional. It's fine. It's better than a C, but not by much. It could be a B minus. I won't quibble over that. Originality, I'm giving it a C. There's, there's, not much to recommend it on this front. Really, the twist that they put on this, and this is something else that I was thinking about in terms of the genre as a whole, is that most of these movies have something to do with the, the ghost hunters, right? Like, we're getting ready to get to The Legend of Hell House, which is all ghost hunters, right? This movie, what they do is essentially take Lynn Shea from Insidious or uh, Tangina from Poltergeist and just give her an expanded backstory and a family and, like, 
make that the B story, which is structurally interesting, at least. If you're going to introduce these characters who are going to tell you all the, you know, your, your professor expositions, as it were, there's something to be said for making them actual characters instead of just plot devices, and that's what this movie does. Wait, though. I mean, you have to keep the context of it. We're launching a fucking Marvel franchise. They're not... They're, they're the superheroes. It's not like a quirky creative decision. It's that we want these characters and their little room full of uh, haunted artifacts to drive multiple stories. I mean, I, but, I, but if that's when this movie came out, like at the time, like the like the expanded universe concept was pretty much in its infancy. And I remember seeing this at the time, and whoa, no, that, no. That, that, that element didn't necessarily occur to me that this was just being set up as this thing to splinter off into a million different franchises. Well, we're not going to be able to like deal with it on mic here, but I mean, I would be absolutely shocked if we find out that it's just like they made this as a one-off and then they decided to have this whole universe. I do not think that's the case. We can look it up later, but I mean, I think it's really, really obvious that they're setting up future stories here. That's just my opinion. Go ahead. Well, look, However, again, however craven the motive behind it, what they've done is give much more flesh to what is otherwise a rote and simple, again, professor exposition character that's played by J.K. Simmons or Lin Shay or, you know, whatever top notch uh, uh, character actor wants to, to make a million dollars for a week's worth of work. Okay. And 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 I like I said, look, I, I'm not going to fault the horror movie for spending more time fleshing out the characters. But again, I'm not. This is not. This is a C. I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue about this, right? Chill factor. I gave it a B. There was some stuff in here that worked for me. A, a lot of it really just has to do with Juan being able to to wring tension out of moments when you sort of know something's going to happen. I actually found the kid on top of the wardrobe. Very creepy. Again, we're back to wardrobes. Yeah, the armoire, uh, yeah, the, the second armoire will come up later, but this is the first armoire in this film. They It, it figures in uh, prominently that there's this large piece of furniture that was there before they moved into the house. That was effective. I actually found some of the preceding scenes when the, the daughter sort of says that so-and-so, you know, he's standing right behind you and there's these long takes. And so it's, again, it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing revolutionary. It's fine. It's a horror movie. It's a little scary. It's a B. Antagonist, B, I sort of like that they arrived at a, a, a motivation and a formula that the, the ghost in this particular movie is following – I, I just sort of like that they landed somewhere that I that I found sort of creepy. Again, she doesn't do anything terribly original, but it's it's still it, it still worked well enough. You mean with the child killing thing? Well, yeah, I mean, but that they're able to tie that in again, unlike fourteen oh eight, where the specters have no connection to any sort of story or anything that that you're working with. This they at least the, those things all factor into a larger story that that actually makes sense in a, a sort of a narrative fashion. It's not this, you know what I mean. It's not the creepiest, most original thing you come up with, but it, you know it works. Again, this is this is made by professionals, dude. If this um, movie was uh, was paired with fourteen oh eight, yes, it would have my fucking vote. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's dominating fourteen oh eight. I agree. <laughs> Quality of kills. I'm giving it a D. I mean, I don't know if the hanged woman counts for a kill, but uh, yeah, I don't have, I don't have much to say about that. 
directing again B plus. This is a this is a a, a C script with an A director. You get a B plus for directing script. I give it a C acting. I gave it a B. I like the actors. I think more than you did. I liked Ron Livingston. I actually liked Lily Taylor in this, but I had that same feeling of maybe I'm just rooting for her. So it's a little hard to tell. I really liked Vera Farmiga. I, Patrick Wilson is a black hole of charisma. He's, you said that last time. <laughs> and I stand by it, John. Now that I've watched it again, I stand the fuck by it. He's um, a black hole of charisma with a huge house somewhere, Vic. I don't, other, I don't mind him. I don't mind him. That's, a perfect, that's the perfect description of Patrick Wilson. Well, I don't mind funny, him. It, it sounds <laughs> like he's the version of like Craig T. Nelson that you hate. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's fair, but I think this comes down to script and I don't want to get into it too much, but I just want to point out that the way that this couple are written, you know, these wooden, extremely earnest Christian, their idea of, of, a, of a hot night is probably to get wild and, and, and watch Jeopardy with only their pajamas on. I mean, it just doesn't have, it's so broad and corny. Like, I think that they're fine. It's not, it's not so much their acting. It's, it's the, the characters that they're playing. But anyway, please continue. I would, listen, I'll just say this. If you put Patrick Wilson in coach instead of Craig T. Nelson, it would not have lasted a season. (laughs) I think that's fair. I think uh, Craig T. Nelson think you is awesome. Put your money where your mouth is, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> sell it. There's no, there's no sports anymore, Rich. Okay, I can't sell a joke on coach. <laughs> By the way, uh, like while we're random in the woods, the weeds here and the woods, I want to say that Wikipedia has just told me that Joseph Bishara plays Bathsheba Sherman. Do you guys offhand remember who Joseph Bishara is and who he played in Insidious as a as as well as being the composer of that film? Oh, is he the man with the fire on his face? Uh-huh. Because I actually saw Bath uh, what's it Bathsheba? Yeah. And I thought Bathsheba was being played by Tobin Bell of Saw. Oh. So I it's, was... it's just find it so funny that this guy like, hey, he'll compose your movie and he'll be the heavy in your movie. Yeah. You yes. got you got to hire this guy. The scariest musician ever. <laughs> I was actually I was mostly distracted by the fact that one of my favorite lines in Annie Hall is when um Woody Allen is accusing Diane Keaton of, of sleeping with her professor. And she calls him, I think she calls him John. And he's like, oh, you, you call your professor John? And she goes, yeah, that's his name. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. It's a, it's a biblical name, isn't it? What does he call you, Bathsheba? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. which, which just immediately made the, made the witch less scary to me. So yeah, yeah. Uh, my other, I mean, all my other comments were, I mean, the clapping game and the hanging woman, like those are the two, those are the two scariest scenes by leaps and leaps and bounds. So, uh, I, I, my other is, is, uh, blah. You got to adopt the foo, baby. Adopt the foo. Blah, blah foo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rich, take us home. Well, you guys have probably devoted more time to this movie than is absolutely necessary, so I'll keep this brief. I share most of your thoughts. I think I maybe liked it a little better than you do. But just to uh, kind of throw a little bit anecdotal in this, the the first time I saw this movie, um, it was the summer of 2013. It it came out in July. My wife and I went down to a bottle share at the brewery in Orange County 
um, which is a, a home of very strong beers. Wait, you, we're- you got to leave the house, Rich? What was it like? <laughs> It was amazing. And there were tons of people there and they were all close to each other and touching each other's glasses. Okay. This is becoming a horror movie. I can't handle. <laughs> people were cracking open double digit alcohol beers all afternoon. It was the drunkest I've ever been. And so at the end of it, we were like, there's no way we can, we can drive home. So it was either get a hotel or go with my backup plan, which was we had bikes in the back of the car. We took the bikes. We went to a local mall, and we went to go see this terrifying movie I'd heard about called The Conjuring. And I don't remember any of that experience. But it did happen. (laughs) Wow, this movie being forgettable? I don't believe it. Watching it this time, I don't know. I Like, James Wan is – Say what, say what you will about him. I think your your criticisms are fair. I mean, like in a way, he kind of feels like the like horrors like B list version of like the Coen Brothers. He's kind of like the like the off Coen Brothers, the ones that did like Lady Killers or <laughs> like Intolerable Cruelty, where it's like I agree the tricks are there, but they're not always necessarily motivated. But he does control like he controls an ensemble cast pretty well in this scenario. I think. I mean, like the setup of this family is straight out of a Flanagan movie. Mm-hmm. Not quite as like well managed, but still I found them pretty believable, and I thought he guided them guided them through. I, I placed this movie like right up there with Insidious, which which Juan also did, and Sinister, which he did not do. I know that they're not all necessarily part of the same lineage, but they all kind of feel like the same movie to me. They were all came out around the same time. In fact, that that Vic the the story that you were telling about your son seeing the man on this on the ceiling. I was actually waiting for you to bring up that story when we were talking about Insidious last week because it would make perfect sense for it to be part of that movie's description as well. Like, <laughs> it's just like they're all kind of interchangeable. It's like a dark house on a vacant lot with big trees and like a scary man somewhere who's terrorizing a family. And you just kind of like, you know, exchange a few parts and like you've got this movie and not that movie. And that's why it's like this movie spawned. I, I thought the sequel to this movie was junk. Disagree. Like, it's like uninspired CGI. Um, I know that there are people who like some of the Annabelle movies. I have not seen any of them. I've heard the Nun was terrible. I, I can't speak for it because I haven't seen it. But this thing inspo- it spawned a lot of garbage because there's not a whole lot of inspiration here. That said, I'm giving it a generous overall quality of a B because it has captured people's imagination. It definitely has fans out there. Uh, originality is like a B minus. It really just feels like a a uh, so-so uh, not found footage version of Paranormal Activity to me. Like it's just kind of like the base, like, you know, it's the baseline haunted house movie. Chill Factor, here's where I want to give a shout out. I gave Chill Factor of this movie a B plus. It does have a few key moments. I'm going to bump it up all the way to an A plus, And I'm doing that in honor of my mother-in-law, Teresa, who is a senior who has never watched a horror movie in her life and has actually sat through a fair number of these 32 because she's trapped with us. Um, She came out here on a trip from Texas right before the pandemic started and now is trapped in California because she can't travel home. And we just moved. And so I keep having like, wow, I'm like, oh my God, I have to watch these horror movies to get ready for the podcast. And so she's been exposed to them. And every single horror movie she's seen, she says at the end of it, she goes, she's like, that's not, that's not a horror movie. Like, that's just a thriller. Or like, 
that's just a that's just like a tense you know action movie and we finished this movie and she just looked over at me and she said that was a horror movie so maybe it's not impactful on us but it is certainly impactful on a certain group of people maybe it's kind of a starter horror film yeah but it's an effective starter horror film for that group so it's chilling someone antagonists we already talked about Bathsheba and how it's not Tobin Bell, but it is the composer from the Insidious. That all makes sense. Can I make one quick interjection here? Can you guys imagine, just picture for a second, Friday the 13th, scored by the great Harry Mad- Manfredini, Jason Voorhees, played by the great Harry Manfredini. <laughs> what? Like, what would that have been like? <laughs> I was I was excited about the inverse of that where Kane Hodder was the composer of Fire the Thirteenth. <laughs> that would be that would definitely be a challenge for his composing skills, I would imagine. It'd probably sound a lot like a, a punk rock song that a bunch of guys in a garage had been working on. I, I want to see John Williams trying to play the shark in Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, please continue, Rich. Sorry about that. That's quite all right. I mean, what is there to say about Annabelle? That was definitely the one element that I feel like maybe tipped their hand. Even if you were pretty ignorant or as ignorant as I was at the time, Annabelle tips their hand that they're, they're, they're teeing this thing up for another sequel because there's no really discernible reason to write her into the script otherwise. But hey, apparently she, you know, she lives on. So I guess they knew what they were doing. Quality of kills there. I don't even, I, I didn't see this that long ago and I still don't remember there being any real kills in this movie. So let's give that one an F. I actually give the directing an A. I, sorry, I, I, know, I know what you're saying. Like, I just feel like sometimes the, it is like a little weak or thin, and I blame most of that on the, the script. I, Vic, I thought like the idea of ringing tension is something that was one of Juan's strength is like is right on the money. I, don't, I just don't feel like his stuff is ever bad. He is, as a director, always seems very in control, and I, I like his style. So uh, it's an A for me. Script is a B minus. I don't feel like there's anything left to really say about that. Acting, I'll give a B plus. I kind of split the difference between you guys. I agree that Lily Taylor was just miscast for this. I just didn't like her in it, and it's weird because I do like her. I thought Ron Livingston was fine, and I like uh, I like Vera Farmiga. And this is weirdly like her seems like her iconic role, at least to me. And uh, other, uh, I'll I'll stick with my anecdote and I'll go with Brew Fu. It's not a great movie, but you know, after you've had ten or twenty beers, it's not a bad <laughs> way. To I thought, Rich, during that, I thought of what my other should have been, uh, in 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 given that John took the good ones. My my other would be they get an F for failing to put a fucking padlock on the door that has all of the most demonic things in the world. Uh, uh, trapped in it like that their daughter just can like wander in there in the middle of the night just put a fucking lock on it it's just not that it's just dumb anyways by the way like not judging one way or the other and i i think that that's a good call it deserves that but they the last annabelle movie which i have not seen and supposedly is good basically is the exact same premise that we saw foreshadowed in this scene where apparently she's left alone at home and like somehow shit goes down with that room. Like that's literally the entire plot of Annabelle three. So I I guess they didn't learn from whatever happened in this movie. There's still no padlock on that door. It was the sixties, John padlocks were hard to come by. (laughs) You know, in my day, we didn't have a padlock. We just had some twine. (laughs) (laughs) 
tell you to save up for twine. All right. Well, look, looks like guys, this this is uh, this could be a tight one. Let's let's take the votes. All right, Rich. <laughs> Rich, do you cast your vote uh, for Oculus or The Conjuring? After a lot of hemming and hawing, I am gonna go Oculus. Oh, all right, there it is. Well, The Conjuring is still alive. All right, Vic, cast your vote. Do I want to go out for the good movie or the not-so-good movie? God, I... No, you know what? No. I'm going to vote for Oculus. What? Oh, my God. (laughs) Also, I'm going to vote for this. I'm voting for New Belgium's uh, uh, Belgian Triple. I am impressed uh, with that candidate because you nailed that. This isn't your first rodeo. We heard the the pop of the top. We I think we we heard something hit the table after it was that was fantastic. Thank well, you. Thank well, you. well done, Vic it's is an a audio pro. Me- It's an audio medium, John. It's true. It's true. You you guys don't get to look at our model quality good looks. Folks, I guess that's it. I, I was going to vote for The Conjuring. I really was, but, uh, you know, can't go against the tide. I'm not a salmon. Yeah, you don't want to put your money on a losing horse. Sure. <laughs> Throw your vote away, John. Yeah, my protest vote goes to <laughs> Oculus. All right, it's a clean sweep. Let's move on. Hey, gang, John here. This podcast is definitely a labor of love, but we do want more listeners. And apparently listeners like their podcasts in bite-sized pieces, more like a pancreas or a spleen than an entire corpse. So from now on, we're going to be splitting these into roughly an hour to an hour and a half chunks. The good news is you're going to get a lot more episodes of March Mad Men more regularly. So I'm going to tie a bow on this one right now and get the next part ready for you to listen to. Which means, for now, it's adios! Adios!